Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, one week away, we'll hear how the candidates are using these final days to get their base and maybe even sway others to the polls. All that's just ahead. But first, we can begin with this. Some tragic news out of Houston. Rapper Takeoff from the group The Migos is dead after being shot in the early morning. Now, according to a story from the Associated Press, Takeoff, whose name is Kershink Kahari Ball, was among a group on a balcony outside of a bowling alley. Houston authorities confirmed Takeoff, just 28 years of age, was the only person killed. As of to the exact details surrounding what happened, the investigation continues. And it has been reported that fellow Migos member and Takeoff's uncle, Quavo, was with him. We'll have more on rapper Takeoff later in the program. In other news, former Vice President Mike Pence is in Georgia today. He'll join Governor Brian Kemp on a tour of stops, which include the Cumming Cigar Company and the Carroll Daniel Construction Company in Gainesville. Now, last Friday, former President Barack Obama was in Atlanta on behalf of Democrats and namely Stacey Abrams. Meanwhile, Georgia voters, y'all are continuing to show show high, show high turnout numbers, rather, over the last weekend of early voting. Now, according to the Secretary of State's office, as of Monday morning, Georgia, quote, continues to break records with over a million voters casting their ballots during early voting. In fact, if you want the number, here you go. One million five hundred and five thousand four hundred forty seven. That's y'all. Georgia has had early record voting turnout since the first day early voting began. In related news. The lieutenant governor's race has been an interesting one. State Senator Burt Jones is the Republican nominee. Now, he also joined a fake slate of electors for Donald Trump after Joe Biden won the 2020 election here out of Georgia. As we hear from WABE politics reporter Sam Greenglass, he reports how that is playing into the race. Through the Republican primary, Jones promoted false claims about election fraud in Georgia, including at a rally with Trump. The elections could have been so simple to fix. It could have been so simple to investigate. Jones and 15 others signed on as fake electors for Trump, even submitting a document to the National Archives. The Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor, Charlie Bailey, has highlighted his opponent's post-election activities. This guy forged a fake electoral ballot in secret, and not only that, he flew to Washington, D.C. the day before the insurrection with a letter in his pocket to meet with the vice president of the United States, to urge him not to count the electoral votes. Jones says he never delivered the letter and didn't do anything wrong. We had court cases that were going on at the time, and it was a procedural move that we're not going to move forward if those court cases did not move forward. Trump's allies undertook similar efforts in other swing states, which are now under investigation by Congress, the Justice Department, and a special grand jury in Fulton County. We don't know exactly who told what, when, where, what. We, like, we don't know all these facts. Georgia State University Law professor Anthony Christ says one question these investigations are trying to answer is who hatched and coordinated the scheme. Christ says submitting false documents and impeding an election are illegal under Georgia law. Georgia's fake electors, including Jones, were notified their targets of Fulton County's criminal investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Though a judge barred Fulton County from investigating Jones because prosecutor Fawny Willis held a fundraiser for his opponent. It's really essential that people who hold positions of power will be willing to adhere to democratic principles even when they lose out. Georgia voters will now weigh in by November 8th. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. The doors of the Atlanta Medical Center in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood have shuttered for good as of midnight. Around the same time now, Grady Memorial Hospital released a statement on becoming Atlanta's only level one trauma center, as we hear from Lily Oppenheimer. 
Grady officials say they want the city to know they're not going anywhere, and its medical team and staff will continue to show up to treat a mass influx of patients in its emergency department. Grady says it has also hired former AMC trauma surgeons and primary care physicians to meet the growing need at its trauma center and at neighborhood health centers. The hospital system has also added nearly 50 new inpatient beds and says more are coming. Wellstar executives have cited financial losses as the reason for shutting down its AMC main campus. Earlier this year, the health system also closed its East Point emergency room, the only ER south of I-20 in Fulton County. Both locations served low-income areas and were based in a historically black neighborhood. Lily Oppenheimer, WABE News. The city of Atlanta has a new police chief after a nationwide search for potential candidates. And it's a familiar name. Mayor Andre Dickens named Darren Scherenbaum as the 26th chief of police for the Atlanta Police Department yesterday. Scherenbaum has been with APD for the last 20 years. Still surreal. I did not think that when I started my service with the Atlanta Police Department, this is where the journey would take me. Now, the journey has taken him there. Sharon began serving as the interim police chief over the summer. The new chief says he plans to keep fighting crime while also furthering community engagement. Finally, seniors in Georgia, I mean, our older population, not seniors in high school, can begin applying for financial assistance on their energy bills for heating costs starting today, as we hear from Molly Samuel. The Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program is a federally funded program to help people keep the heat on in the winter and the AC on in the summer. To get the assistance, people need to apply through their local community action agencies. These appointments are typically in person or over the phone. Officials are expecting home energy costs to be up this winter since natural gas prices have gone up. Residents who are 65 and older or medically homebound can begin applying for the assistance today. Everyone else in need of help can apply in December. Molly Samuel, WABE News. And some helpful news there. You're listening to Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. One week from today, finally, why it just seems like yesterday when the first campaign ad started to hit the airwaves. Politicians will lie, but numbers do not. You just go look at the projects that we have done in rural parts of our state. Two record years in a row. Over 75% of the projects and over half the jobs that were created are in rural Georgia. And if you look at the dots on the map where those projects are, it is all over this state. That is incumbent Republican, of course, Governor Brian Kemp, touting his commitment to helping Georgia's rural communities. And when Stacey Abrams made it official she was getting back in the governor's race, she made it clear that she had not totally just been sleeping. When I didn't win the governor's race, not getting the job didn't exempt me from the work. And so I didn't quit. I got back to work paid off the medical debt of 68,000 Georgians, helping small businesses stay alive, making sure they had the financing they needed, and putting money into the pockets of families, trying my best to make sure that every Georgian had access and opportunity. And of course, Georgia is a battleground state as it relates to the U.S. Senate. Lots to talk through with a week away, so let's bring in our regular contributors to the program. Julianne Thompson, a Republican strategist and the president of Main Street Network Strategies, and Fred Hicks, an Atlanta-based political strategist and demographer. Thank you both for taking time. This could be our last, con- well, this will be our last conversation before next Tuesday. How y'all feeling? Y'all feeling good? Well, thanks for having us. I, I feel I feel really good. Um, of course, there's a lot of 
a lot of things, I guess we'll talk about today, races we're looking at across the country yeah. that are still up in the air, but it's a really exciting time. Fred, how yeah, you feeling? I'm feeling good. Glad, glad to be here. And I'm not so sure this will be our last time. There might be an early November surprise that pops up and necessitates us coming back on air. I don't know. What? Before next Tuesday? I mean, it's seven days ago. You have a tight race for Senate. You know something, Fred, you're not telling us? For governor? Uh, I don't. I don't. Yes, just do. politics and life. Mm-hmm. Politics and life. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know, Julian. <laughs> Fred, <laughs> glad to be here. Fred knows something. <laughs> all right. Before we begin into all of that, let's let's just talk about what we're hearing so far, what we know. Because this has been historic. The early voting turnout. Any surprise? Is that a surprise for you, Julian? I'll start with you. Um, it's it's not a surprise. Actually, there's been incredible early voting turnout, especially in North Georgia. Uh, I think like in the counties that are under 100,000, you have Green County leading, uh, leading the pack with 70% of their registered voters having voted early, uh, followed by Rabin County at 35% and Towns County at 34%. Um, and then in counties over 100,000, Forsyth County is leading the way uh, in early voting with 38% of their registered voters having already voted. Richmond is the lowest at 16%, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's fantastic record early voting turnout. Fred, what do you think? Those numbers not surprising well, to you? No, so, you know, as Julian mentioned, um, you know, we, we are seeing record turnout up and down the ballot and overall, oh, not up and down the ballot, but across the state. Um, and I think this is a little, little predictable because turnout has increased every year Mm -hmm. from 2016 to 2018 to 2020. um, And you've added over a million voters since the 2018 election. So it only it only stands to reason in my mind that you would have a have a really good turnout. But uh, to to Julianne's point, we're seeing in the rural communities, what I would say outside the Metro 5 of Clayton, Cobb, DeKalb, um, Gwinnett and Fulton, you're seeing really high numbers. And uh, the way I would say it is, Counties, uh, Republican counties like Cherokee uh, and Forsyth are overperforming and Democratic counties such as Muskogee and Bibb County, that's Columbus and Macon, they're underperforming. And so these 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 early voting numbers are painting a very interesting picture. But the turnout is, is, is high across the board, across every segment. So, Fred, let me stay with you for a moment. You mentioned those counties that are typically Democrat and, and underperforming. If you're a Democrat in the party, are you all alarmed about that? Or you just hope maybe folks will come back out next Tuesday? So uh, you definitely are alarmed uh, when you look at what Democrats need in order to win. So the formula, the 2020 slash 2021 formula, you had really high turnout in Metro Atlanta. um, And those again, the Metro 5 and then even extending it beyond that to the Democratic counties. You had some underperformance performance and traditionally really really red areas. And, uh, and you had high minority participation. Uh, you had a younger electorate, younger being a lot of people you know, under 50. And you had uh, a, a diverse electorate. And so right now, what we're seeing from the first day of early voting through yesterday, we're seeing that each day, rural Georgia is starting to vote more and more. We're seeing older voters coming out more and more. And you're seeing white voters uh, increase their voting, their voting share, their voter share. Uh, each day. And so these numbers um, are, are moving in the opposite direction of where Democrats would like them to go, for sure. And Julian, if you are working with a Republican candidate who's is, whose base is probably in one of the rural parts of Georgia, you, you got to feel like maybe those numbers uh, sway in, in their favor. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Uh, yes, yes, now I can. Um, I'm sorry. Could you repeat? Sure, that not question? a problem. If you are, if you are, say you're advising a, a Republican candidate in the rural parts of Georgia, and based on what you you just said and what Fred said in terms of turnout, um, you got to feel pretty good if you're a Republican candidate in these rural in these rural parts of the county that in the state that you've got voters out coming out early. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think whether you're Governor Brian Kemp, who has really uh, who has really excited the uh, the vote in rural Georgia, especially among farmers. If you look at Congressional District 2, which was a toss-up, but leaning, or well, I shouldn't even say it was a toss-up. It was, it was heavily leaning Democratic originally. And over time, it has become a toss-up. And the latest polling shows CD2 in a dead heat 
uh, between incumbent Sanford Bishop and Republican Chris West. And so I, I think it's an exciting time. And the fact that those numbers are as high as what they are says says a lot for for Republicans. And as Fred said, younger voters and not even talking about those under 50, but those under 30 are barely showing up to vote at all. Let's talk about that that Bishop and West race, because for so many years, Sanford Bishop didn't really have what we consider, you know, a, a affordable opponent. But now, Julian, what do you make of this that he is possibly it's looking like it could go to a runoff, but he's he's got some competition here. He does have competition. Um, I, I think, number one, in the past, a lot of the candidates that ran against Sanford Bishop, um, you know, a, a lot of times they ran for the purpose of running and not necessarily believing that they would win. I think Chris West is really, really dedicated to winning this seat. Uh, he's working extremely hard. Uh, he's had some great TV ads uh, and you know, there's been so many calls made, doors knocked on, uh, Republicans are showing up from all over the country to knock on doors and do canvassing for Chris. And um, it, it shows, it shows in the fact that that poll, all polls on real clear politics are showing the race is now in a dead heat. So this is, this is exciting for Republicans. Fred, what do you make of that race? And and listen, Sanford Bishop, more than or nearly th- thirty years, three decades here, one of the longest serving uh, lawmakers in, the, in Georgia's congressional delegation here. What do you make of this race? Might he be in trouble? Yeah, you know that's one of those that we t- talked about a couple of times throughout the year on the show. Rose is one that I was watching, and I think uh, a few national outlets have referred to it as one of the two or three true swing districts left in the country. And um, and so I think as, as, as CD2 goes, so will go the state next week. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's very, very important for, for Democrats to, to really laser, to put a laser focus on that area. You know, the CD2, Congressional District 2, mm-hmm. includes metropolitan areas like Columbus, where you, again, where you, which is Muskogee, Muskogee County, an area where you should have really high Democratic performance and right now is underperforming. And I think that's leading into what Julian is talking about there. So, you know, if I'm sitting there, if I'm advising the party or statewide candidates, I'm saying, hey, you've got to focus on this uh, on this CD2 area. We've got to change the turnout right now because, you know, this we, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the Senate race and mm-hmm. the governor's race, but that congressional seat is, is the other real big one that's on the ballot this year outside of the other stuff. Well, let me ask you this, Fred, because do you think maybe the Democrats didn't pay enough attention to this early on and now they're looking at these numbers and look, it's a it's a week away. What can they do? Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that. Now, here's the here's the optimistic thing, because I, I realize I'm probably sounding a little pessimistic about Democratic um, the, the potential for a good day for Democrats. And Julianne is so excited. But here, here's the thing. So, <laughs> okay. you know. Over the last couple of days, we've seen a lot of energy um, around uh, around Democrats, with starting with President Obama coming in on Friday, and you've had a lot of other national surrogates and a lot of work taking place it's, it, across the state. And it's going to take a couple of days for that to show up. Um, so I, I didn't expect to see that in the numbers on Monday or even the numbers today. I think starting tomorrow, that's what for me. That's what I'm looking at to look at the look at where the who's voting and where the voters are coming from starting tomorrow. Uh, I think going into this early voting period, I would have said that Democrats should have a decent early voting uh, turnout and election day was what would concern me as a Democrat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from talking to the party. Uh, right now, the way that things are going, I th- the Democrats are going to have to put a ton of energy into this week and try to win election day. So, you know, as Julianne mentioned, you have a lot of Republican counties that have 30, 40 percent turnout or close to 40 percent turnout already. The flip side to what Julian is saying is that that could mean that Republicans are voting early and that leaves a lot of space for Democrats. But the Democrats are going to have to work really hard. And to your question, CD2, Congressional District 2, which goes down 85, is uh, is a key area. Well, I want to get to Julian in a moment. But Fred, when I'm reading that, listen, former President Barack Obama who has had weekend stops. I mean, he was obviously was here in Georgia, I think Michigan and Wisconsin. Also, we keep hearing about Nevada and, and Arizona. What states are you paying close attention to in terms of control of the Senate? So in terms of the Senate, we're looking at Pennsylvania, we're looking at Arizona, we're looking at Nevada and Wisconsin and Ohio. 
Um, you know, with Pennsylvania, with the Fetterman, uh, Dr. Oz race, that's one that has been pretty considered safely Democratic up until recently. And now that's almost into the toss-up category. And listen, one thing I want to say to, to the listeners is that this is the normal process. Um, one side or the other will have a decent to big lead going into the last couple of weeks. And then the race is always tightened un unless there's something dramatic that happens. So this is not abnormal, what we're seeing right now. Um, but if you're if you're a national party, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you're looking at these numbers every single day, rolling polling numbers every single day to decide where you're going to place your money. So with Nevada, with Pennsylvania becoming more uh, moving into the swing or toss up column that impacts money that goes into Georgia, that goes into Nevada and places like that. But so there's a it's a constant um, almost Rubik's Cube game that you're playing to figure out where you have your best chance of winning and putting your resources there. So, uh, but those are the states where I think both sides are looking at right now for control of the Senate. And remember it's 50, 50. So uh, either side just has to net one. Mm -hmm. Just one. And then they're in control. Julianne, what do you think? What states are you paying attention to? Well, I'll get to that in a second. If you don't mind, could I just go back for one second and just respond to something that I respectfully disagree with Fred about? Of course. And That's why we want you on the program. <laughs> Let them have it. Sides <laughs> of the aisle, we usually agree on a lot of stuff. But one thing that he said that I'm just going to respectfully disagree with is as goes CD2, so goes the state. Um, I truly believe that if Republicans do not win CD2, Brian Kemp is still going to win governor. Um, so in, in that case, I, I would say, unless Fred meant that in a different way, I, I would say I respectfully disagree with Fred. But I will say this, if Republicans win CD2, then then the state of Georgia, it, then Democrats are going to suffer devastating losses in the state of Georgia. Um, so, so I will say that is how I'm viewing that. I, I know Fred's going to want to jump in here and then I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about the states that you asked yeah, me about. You know, it's well, like a debate. We're going to let you all go ahead. You you may respond, Mr. Hicks. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, um, my record, she doesn't want to talk about my record. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. That was a, <laughs> a big joke there. But, um, so no, but to, to Julianne's point, and I thank you, Julianne, for bringing that out. So I, what I meant by that is that, yeah, if, if Republicans are able to win CD2, then it's going to be a bad day for Democrats up and down the line. Now, Republicans losing CD2 does not mean a great day for Democrats, but certainly if, if Democrats lose the bishop's seat, it's going to be hard to to see Democrats winning anything. Again, with the exception being, of course, this, the Senate race, where it looks like we are pretty set on going into a runoff with that one, one way, one way or another, um, a runoff. Or I, I still believe that it leans actually in favor of Senator Warnock, um, because I, you, when you look at the latest polling, it still says that the Libertarian is polling at 5%, and Julianne knows this, Libertarians never get 5% in Georgia. It's more like one and a half, 1.82%. Mm -hmm. But they always overperform in polling, but on election day or when voting starts, they fall down. But I have to believe that if someone is self-identifying as a Libertarian, that that means that they are, um, they're probably a Republican as opposed to a Democrat in terms of how they would vote. But one other thing I wanna say about that, and we, we always talk about polls in the latest polling, um, you have to remember that the polls show 50 percent, 50 percent of the respondents self-identified as a as Republican and 41, 42 percent self-identified as a Democrat. And that's just not what Georgia is. Georgia is a 50-50 state. And so I think that you would, the way I look at it, and this is not being an optimist, I do believe that both Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock are actually performing better than the polls show well, because the polls show about a nine point gap between Democrats and Republicans. So take that further, because I know listeners are saying, well, Mr. Hicks, what do you mean when you say Georgia's a 50-50 state? Are you, are you talking straight down the line in terms of Democrats and Republicans? Yeah. I mean, yes. take that further. Yeah. So if you look at yeah, so if you look at what happened in 2020, remember Joe Biden, contrary to Donald Trump's statements, Joe Biden won Georgia, but he did it by less than 12,000 votes. So that right. in essence, out of five million that means you're pretty much 50-50. Well, but, January, but can you Senator say that, Fred? Can you say that? Because we also know that a lot of Republicans crossed over and did not vote for Donald Trump. 
Is that well, a factor as well? I don't well? think they crossed over. I think they stayed home. But in January, you look at, you, look, you remember January 2021, Senator Warnock won by a little bit under 100,000 votes, Senator Ossoff right around 60. Even if you go back to the last midterm, which is four years ago, that Stacey Abrams had 48.5%, Brian Kemp 51 you know, and a half percent. So it's still, you're really talking about 51, 49, 50, 50. You're looking at the last, the last four years of elections in Georgia. Okay. But much like in the 2020 presidential election, Julian, I want to bring you in here because the Democrats could focus on, look, these are Republicans under Donald Trump, whereas now you've got the GOP saying they are focusing on the Biden administration. They are using that. That has been at the core for many of these candidates on the Republican side. They are going after Joe Biden and his administration with their Democratic opponents. OK, well, well, going back to what Fred said about the the runoff, the Senate runoff in 2021, Republicans stayed home in record numbers for that Senate runoff, especially in Republican strongholds like CD14. Um, uh, uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I want to say it was like uh, uh, in maybe less than 20 percent that showed up from CD14 to vote in the runoff that actually voted in the general election. It was just a devastating number for Republicans. Um, Going back to what Fred said about the state of Georgia in the Senate race. I agree with him that it that it's going to go to a runoff. Absolutely. But where I disagree with him is I do believe that the runoff is going to fail is going to favor Herschel Walker, because I do believe that the excitement and the momentum to get out and vote in a runoff is with Republicans this time around. Um, like Fred, you know, I'm I'm looking at, at Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Wisconsin, Nevada, of course, Georgia and Arizona. I do think that um, I think the, the likely GOP states are going to be North Carolina, Ohio, Wisconsin, Nevada and Georgia. I'm going to put Georgia over there. Um, Pennsylvania is still in play, but I'm still probably looking at it as a likely Democratic win. Um along with New Hampshire, the big prize is going to be Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure that you saw earlier today, the libertarian, we were discussing the libertarian uh, and and how the libertarian uh, percentages affect the vote. The libertarian Mark Victor uh, dropped out earlier today. And after an extensive conversation with Blake Masters has endorsed the Republican Blake Masters for the uh, Arizona Senate race. And I do believe that that Arizona race is a lot more likely to go Republican than it was a week ago. So I, I think that that is something that is still very much in play. And I would even say slightly tipping toward Republican. Well, so I, go ahead. Think, I think she makes an interesting point about Arizona. Um, you know, Arizona, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia have always been, you know, throughout this year, I should say, have been sort of the tier one states to watch Pennsylvania and others kind of, you know, they're there, maybe tier one B. But I still think that Arizona is going, is is favoring and will favor Kelly. Uh, he's, he's run a masterful campaign. He has a lot of strong support out there. But Julianne's point there about the Libertarian endorsing the Republican is just the point that I was making about Georgia, that Chase Oliver is sitting at 5%. I think he is hurting Herschel Walker and not hurting uh, Raphael Warnock in this race. And uh, I still think that uh, Julianne feels that Arizona is tilting Republican. I believe the Senator Warnock, that Georgia is still tilting towards Senator Warnock. And then in a runoff, when all the other noise is gone mm-hmm. and and voters are, are, are able to focus on this one particular race, I think we can see a lot of what we saw in, in the runoff, which we had counties like DeKalb County, where you had more votes mm-hmm. in the runoff than you did in, in November. And I think when it comes down just to that, you'll see that sort of thing again. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Fred Hicks, an Atlanta-based political strategist and demographer, and also Julianne Thompson, a Republican strategist and president of Main Street Network Strategies. I want to go back to something that I mentioned earlier in terms of how the GOP, how they were focusing on going after the Biden administration. And for the Democrats, the main strategy has been more issues oriented, I think, of abortion, gun laws, voting rights. I want to take a, I want to play a clip here of, of Brian Kemp talking about this as well. We are overjoyed that the court has paved the way for the implementation of Georgia's Life Act. We 
are telling women that they are second-class citizens in Georgia. And let me be clear, Brian Kemp is telling women they are second-class citizens in the state of Georgia. So let me ask you all this. Are you think the voters going to pay attention? Or is it really going to be about issues like abortion or reproductive rights, gun laws, voting rights, or are they? you think voters are looking at the overall issue with the Biden administration or just the blanket generalizations about Republicans do and don't do? Julianne, what do you think is going on with voters here in Georgia? I think more than 50 percent of citizens on both sides of the aisle will tell you that the most important issue to them is the economy. Mm -hmm. And that is the issue that Republicans are winning on, and that is the messaging that they need to stick with. Um, It is about the economy. It is about inflation. um, And then further down the line for Republicans, it's, well, I shouldn't say further down the line, a little bit less. It's about Republic, it's about uh, crime and public safety. And then a little further down the line, um, border crisis in states that are affected by that. Those are the issues that are strong for Republicans. And that's where they need to keep their messaging focused on. Um, I do believe that the other issues are important to a lot of voters, but they are not issues that people sit around their kitchen table and say, boy, you know, this abortion issue is really affecting me on a day-to-day basis. They're just, they're not. And people are concerned about the economy. That's the major issue. That's the most important thing to voters. And that is why Republicans have messaged the way that they have, because this administration, the Biden administration, has failed on the economy. And this is why Republicans are as far as mm-hmm. Fred, jump in there. So, I, yes, it's about the issues, but more than anything, it's about how the issues are communicated. I love saying that Democrats like to take a turn paper to a gunfight, right? That's what I'm saying. Then Democrats over-explain, they go into too much detail, they don't talk in sound bites in ways that are digestible. Republicans have been pushing the inflation issue before it was an issue this year. And the reality is that inflation is a global issue, and the United States is, is suffering at at a much smaller rate at 8% of inflation compared to most of Europe and even the major economies in Asia. But this idea that the administration has failed on the economy uh, is there is a Republican talking point and one that is a narrative that people have accepted because honestly, Republicans communicate it well and they and, and they believe in repetition. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is that yes, people are struggling. Yes, things are a hard time, but this is a global issue and the US is faring much better because of the leadership of the administration, but no one's talking about that. Let's move to Warnock and Walker here. Senator Warnock, obviously the incumbent here, uh, but still from all the polls that we, and you know, and Fred, you know, me and polls, you know, it's like oil and water. (laughs) But for the sake of this conversation, you know, what the latest polls keep revealing is that they're neck and neck. How has Herschel Walker been able to sustain this despite everything that's been coming out with the allegations and, and related to abortions and past girlfriends and domestic violence. And even though we had the two, uh, an allegation related to that with Senator Warnock, but I want to focus on Walker. How has he been able to, to hang in there? Listen, what people have to remember is that this is still Georgia. And because it's Georgia, 48, 49% of voters are going to vote Republican almost no matter what. And you also have to keep in mind the historical context that Georgia's had at least one Republican Senator since 1993, except for the brief period after Senator Coverdale died when Zell Miller, who caucused with the Republican, or spoke at the 2004 convention, when Governor Miller was the was the senator until Saxby Shambliss won. So Senator Warnock is swimming up against history. Uh, you, already, you have two Democratic senators right now. Georgia hasn't had that in over 30 years, basically. And so for the, the fact that he is tied or ahead uh, with a Republican at this point is, is, a, is a historical feat. Uh, but then number two, I think it is also a testament to the strength of the campaign that he has run that, again, understanding that a Republican for Senate is going to get at least 48, probably 49 percent, no matter what, to be neck and neck at this point um, is, is, is solid. Now, of course, the Warnock campaign would love to be to be ahead, and I do think he will he will win. But this is just more a reflection, I think, of of of, of the state that we're in. Mm-hmm. If you take Herschel Walker and you put him in another state, and honestly, I think if you put a D behind Herschel Walker's name and an R behind Senator Warnock's name. Senator Warnock is at 51, 52, 53%, because, and, and Herschel Walker is, is flailing because of his issues, but because he has an R behind his name, and this is Georgia, 
He's still doing what he's doing. John, you agree with that? I think that in this day and age that people have experienced enough, voters are smart, they've experienced it enough to know that ads and attacks uh, that are based on political elections um, are just something that they don't necessarily believe or pay that much attention to anymore. Remember, these are allegations. The, I mean, so many from people- From his family, from his son, from his ex-wife. These aren't allegations from the War Not campaign. These are from people who share his DNA. You talked about the abortion issue. No one, Herschel Walker has denied this. He has denied this. This is an allegation. This has not been proven. And he has denied it. People are looking at this as an attack, as a political attack. And the fact of the matter is they know Herschel Walker. They know who he is. He is a, uh, a very well-known public figure and has been for a while. They like him. He is very likable. Um, yeah. He, he he will vote according to the values of the people who are supporting him. And that is what they're looking at. They're looking at how is Herschel Walker going to vote on the issues that matter to me. And while there are still a lot of candidates, and, and this is this is the fault. I, I love Fred to death, but the fact of the matter is Democrats have focused on a lot of issues that are are so irrelevant to so many voters like like what talking like what like talking about climate change so much that is not anything that is resonating with voters today and senator warnock has talked about climate change a, a lot of other democrats have talked about it and it's just not something that's resonating with voters Herschel Walker is focusing on the economy, and that is what is important to voters. They know we can do, you, you can don't think do both, and we have to do both. We can't just do the economy today and, and, and so, say forget about the climate in the future. Fred, we, we won't have an earth if we don't think about the climate. They know. No, I, I agree. When he gets on, I will, and, oh, Julia, oh, God, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Supporting Herschel Walker and have not left him. Fred? Agreed. No, I, I agree that, that, that you're not going to win a lot of points talking about the climate. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't take action on the climate. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you know, have movement on that. Um, and I agree that Democrats are, 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 are lagging on countertop kitchen table issues. So, you know, James Carville would say it's about the economy. It's always about the economy. Uh, always. In 2020, it was about what's going, how COVID was impacting the economy. In 2018, but economy is always about that, but it's also about how you communicate it. And I think the Democrats have scored a lot of wins, but haven't communicated well about it. Insulin is a major issue for mm -hmm. people in Georgia. But go ahead. Let, let me just want to, because I've got some emails about this, and I just want to be very clear. Now, Herschel Walker has denied pressuring women into having the, you know, this uh, the, an abortion, but he has not. But he can't deny that if the woman actually had it, because he just can't do that. But he's denying that he pressured the women. I want to be very clear. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. But that's been the whole issue is that he was pressuring someone into having one. I mean, and I that has been something that he has denied. And I mean, I'm going to to God to, to judge his heart and to know what the truth is. But that is what he states. And I'm just, you know, I. Well, question as to why I thought people were sticking with Herschel Walker, and it's because they believe he is going to vote according to their values. Fred, I'll give you the last exactly. word on Herschel. It's because, he, it's because he has an R behind his name, and as Julianne said, that they're willing to overlook all of these things just because he's going to vote and, and uh, the way that they want him to vote in, in, in Congress. So, yeah, it's because he has an R behind his name, but if he had a D... These same people would not be giving him the time of day because of his issues, and they wouldn't be giving him the benefit of the doubt. And if he leave behind his name, the same same Democrats that are criticizing him right now would be taking up for him, just like they have Senator Warnock. Found <laughs> the allegations from his ex-wife that he tried to. The, well, that was disproven, and it was on the dash cam. The police. That, you know, as the governor talked about, he has 107 sheriffs. The police decided not to go, go for it on that. But the reality is, of course, Herschel Walker said no. I mean, most people who commit crimes say that they didn't right. do it. Well, let's, so his let's, protestations uh, doesn't mean anything Let's get to that. the final question, which is, y'all were feisty today. I like it. Uh, runoff predictions. 
Fred, runoff predictions. What do you think is going to happen here? What race likely is headed to a runoff? I think you need to have us back on Monday so we can say that. How about that? Is there no. something going to happen uh, that you're not going to tell us, Fred? Come on, man. <laughs> no, I don't know anything about that. But I, I will say that it looks like, again, it looks like right now that the Senate race we're going to run off. I think we need to continue to monitor early voting. Um, that Again, Stacey Abrams is not going to lose by 10 points or 11 points like the polls say. That's, that's, that's not going to happen. So I think we, we need to see what happens there. Um, the trouble, the big sign, if you're looking for any trouble sign or a sign of trouble for, for, for Governor Kemp, is that with the polls that are that are over the oversample Republicans and all of that, he's still just clearing the threshold. I do expect that he'll be the top vote getter and he'll quite possibly um, clear it without a runoff. But okay. we'll see. But I think the Senate race looks like it's going to head in that direction. Right. Julian, you get the last word on that runoffs. I agree. Most definitely the Senate race. All right. Julian Thompson, a Republican strategist and the president of Main Street Network Strategies. Fred Hicks. Atlanta-based political strategist and demographer. As always, good conversation. You should see these emails. I'm just going to forward them to you because I'm not answering. <laughs> I love Julian. Thank you for having us on. This is this is fun. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you both. Fred. And you all should love one another. That's what we're about. Love. <laughs> love here on Closer Look. <laughs> They thought we forgot. We ain't forget. Don't let that broke in, cause she too messy. Who the them broke boys with? Get out my section. Get out my section. Yeah, pull the muscle guy. And closer look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott from Takeoff and Quavo Messi. In a tweet, the Reverend Bernice King said, quote, regarding the shooting death of artist Takeoff from the Migos rap group, quote, I mourn that such frivolous violence has ended your life. My heart goes out to Takeoff's family and to all who are devastated by his death. We have a lot of work to do in transforming the culture of violence into a culture of community awareness and care, close quote. As mentioned earlier, tragic news out of Houston. Rapper Takeoff from the group, the Migos, is dead after being shot in the early morning. Still lot that we don't know, but according to the Associated Press, Takeoff, whose name is Kershnick Kahari Ball, was among a group on a balcony outside of a bowling alley. And Houston authorities confirm Takeoff, at the age of 28, was the only person killed. Joining me now is Georgia Tech professor Joycelyn Wilson. She's an assistant professor of hip-hop studies and digital humanities in the Black Media Studies cohort within Tech's School of Literature, Media, and Communication. Professor Wilson, thanks for taking time. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Rose. Good to be here. You know, um, a lot of people, some people, I think, uh, have either heard of the Migos, but this was a huge rap group right now in this generation. This trio from Lawrenceville, although they might have said Atlanta, we can, that's another conversation. But look, when you're from Lawrenceville, you rep Atlanta, right? So this was a huge, this, they were a huge group in the hip-hop industry right now. And, and this loss, what are you hearing from folks? Well, Rose, uh, here we are again. Uh, the good has once again died over some bull crap and folks are upset about it. Um, he was the youngest of the three. He was 28 years old. And I appreciate you saying his real name because I think it's important mm -hmm. for us to, to use his real name mm -hmm. because it humanizes him and it, it removes this, this it removes this rap persona that um, so many of us have gotten caught up in. Um, Mr. Ball was part of a family. Mm -hmm. He is, he's a nephew. He's um, a cousin, mm -hmm. you know, amigos, amigos are really a, they are a family, yeah. right? Quavo was his, so his uncle, his, right? Quavo was his uncle mm -hmm. and Offset is his cousin. So these are brothers. These are, this is blood. Mm -hmm. And so, I think that it is really tragic because it extends to a family. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the culture is upset about it, but here it is. There's a family suffering another loss at the hands of gun violence that mm -hmm. surely could probably could have been resolved um, where folks left that party, left that bowling alley alive, maybe upset about something, but alive. Um, 
I saw something that said, you know, gun violence has killed at least one rapper every year. We know this to be true since 2018. In the last few months, there have been, and correct me if I'm wrong, at least six, at least mm-hmm. six this year. Whether folks knew mm-hmm. them, whether you, you listen, whether you're in hip hop or not, but within the culture, which within folks who follow these, these artists, there's, and they've all been lost to gun violence. Yeah. So we had PMB Rock, mm-hmm. who was gunned down at Roscoe's while eating. Um, and then you have Young Dolph, mm-hmm. who was murdered while getting cookies in his neighborhood, a neighborhood bakery. Mm-hmm. And then you have Nipsey Hussle, who was, you know, in the parking lot of his clothing store. Uh, it's been there's a pattern here. And I think it's important to put it in context because it's a pattern that has been studied. There is a former professor of psychology at the University of Sydney. Her name is Diana Kinney. Mm -hmm. And in 2015, she conducted a study that compared the artist's life expectancy uh, across music genres and the, the, the cause of those deaths according to the genre. And I believe her list at the time included 59 rappers that had died since 1987. And what, and what she found was that murder accounted for 6% of the deaths across the sample, but was the cause of 51% of deaths in rappers. Mm-hmm. In 2020, XXL did their own analysis, mm-hmm. and they counted 77 rappers on their list of murdered victims. Of those 77, 49 were still unsolved. And mm-hmm. that's, of course, folks like Tupac Shakur and Christopher Wallace, who wasn't even a year later mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then and, and there was a female a female artist uh, a lot of cash desto was killed in houston too and 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 look yes all this yes. surrounded and, and you know you can have a whole nother segment about why it happened or, or you know what the circumstances were but all dying by gun violence you and i have yeah. these conversations because we're from mm-hmm. a different era of of hip-hop kids of hip-hop heads um not to say that there wasn't any there wasn't ever any altercations between folks, but definitely, definitely not the same amount of of those dying by gun violence. Is it fair to say that the hip hop industry, it's the culture that needs to somehow do something about this? What can be done or is that, or, you know, you can't control everybody's behavior and mindset. There are conversations that need to be had that I believe aren't happening. I believe that there needs to be an internal assessment. We can't keep looking to external forces or external platforms to deal with something that's happening internally. And that's the conversation that I believe folks don't want to have, or for some reason, I'm not sure, don't want to talk about why is there a pattern to where rappers who are held in such esteem at one point in time is now a work hazard to want to be a rapper. And the crazy thing about this is all of this loss, the music industry is going to get paid off of all of it because streams are now going to go up and folks are going to go listen to the music and buy the music. And so there's profit being generated off of this pain. And there has to be an internal conversation within hip hop to deal with why black men predominantly continue to kill one another and kill rappers. And these are just the ones that we know about, Rose. Mm -hmm. There's something going on and it always seems to lead back to the use of guns. I know a lot of folks, I've got a couple of emails already, and a lot of folks, you know what, here's the thing too, you know, I'm going to stay inside my Rose Scott auntie. Uh, <laughs> Mo, if you emailing me asking me why are we talking about this, because it's important. It's important. This was yeah. a group out of the Atlanta area that was a huge group. Come on, y'all. Come on now. Don't don't email me talking about really, why we talk about this. Come on. Yeah. I don't understand why folks say that, because it's it's not so much about the fact that it's hip hop. It's about a pattern Mm -hmm. that's happening within 
the Black community. And if we frame it that way and continue to think of it that way, then it's a no-brainer for why we're talking about it. I had a friend, it's an uh, issue. I had a friend that emailed me and said, you know, uh, out of all the out of the trio there, you know, Takeoff. And I'll be honest, I, I thought Takeoff had the best flow on some of your emails. That's just me. Um, and he certainly seemed to be the most chill, too, in terms of not really hearing a whole lot in terms of, you know, other stuff going on. Um, but I do want to talk about him as an artist as well. Um, what do you make of, of, of his contribution to the group, his flow, his style? Takeoff has some of the greatest ad libs, you know, their call and response sequences, I believe, just kind of elevated that component of Black music, particularly rap music. And I also like Takeoff. I think he was the most chill. We didn't hear a whole lot about his personal life. Uh, When he did talk, uh, he seemed to have a uh, sense of humor, a sense of wit that I found to be quite, quite humorous. And so... Um, it's a sad situation. Mm -hmm. It really is a sad situation. And we have to talk about it. We can't only talk about hip hop when it's serving some other um, agenda. We Mm -hmm. have to talk about the ways in which it's impacting the community that it comes from. Absolutely. From Georgia Tech, Assistant Professor of Hip Hop Studies and Digital Humanities in the Black Media Studies cohort. Professor Joycelyn Wilson, is always, good conversation. Listen, you know, hip-hop's going to be 50 years old. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's time to reflect on many of these issues. It's time to use a fresh lens to take it in a different direction. Nas talks about that Mm -hmm. on King's Disease 2, his song Death Death Row East. It's time to start thinking about the ways in which we can elevate the culture and get out of this rut that it seems to have found itself in when it concerns violence and the death of the men producing the music. Absolutely. Thank you so much, professors. Always, I appreciate it. And our condolences to the family. Yes, yes. Thank you. See you later. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, bros at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.